0: Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. By now, you're well aware that my name is Scott Miller, and I serve as the ongoing host and interviewer for this series that's almost a year into its production. Each week, we are privileged to invite different thought leaders, best-selling authors, business titans, and otherwise maybe not household name people, but have paid the price, earned the reps to bring great wisdom to each of us, On either books they've written or articles that they've authored around how to become a better leader a better culture carrier and today is no different some weeks we actually invite guests back on in a recurring series and today we have todd davis who is franklin covey's chief people officer and the author of the best-selling book get better 15 proven practices to building effective relationships at work Todd, welcome back to On Leadership. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for taking the time as a culture builder to come back down.
1: Thanks for inviting me. In fact,
0: me. I have to tell our, our guests on the program, I also am privileged to host a radio program for Franklin Covey on iHeartRadio. That program is called Great Life, Great Career, and each week we interview different guests around how to become a great leader, and Todd, you're segment is the most downloaded of all of the celebrities, best-selling authors, literally Pulitzer Prize-winning people, your radio interview is the most downloaded uh, segment. Wow, thank you. Pretty cool.
1: Thanks. Uh, Why do you think?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I probably did some big screw-up and everybody wants to watch or listen (laughs) to it over and over again. (laughs) No, not hardly. Thank you for coming back. Our topic today is going to be how to build a great culture. We hear so much. It's the articles. And, you know Harvard Business Review and, and all the business magazines, all the HR, Chief, Learning magazines, it's the hot topic. Mm-hmm. It's been hot for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. which makes me think it's not going away. Right. So our theme today is going to be, how do you boil the, th- the thought of culture down into practices, behaviors? What do leaders do about that? How does it drive employee engagement? How does it expel possible employees? First, let's talk about your book. So you've written this book. It's sold, gosh, close to 60,000 copies. You have become legitimately one of the key global names in leadership development, how do you build a great culture, specifically the role that relationships play in culture. Talk about for a moment your passion about relationships and culture.
1: Well, uh, thanks. And thanks for mentioning the book. Really excited about that. It has It has been a very hot topic and a hot book, not because anybody knows Todd Davis, but because this topic of relationships is foundational to great cultures. I mean, uh, Jim Collins talks about making sure we have the right people on the bus, which is critical. But it's actually the nature of the relationships between those people that I've seen in my 30 years of experience as a chief people officer or a similar role that makes all the difference in an organization's culture.
0: I think that adage that maybe Gallup even popularized around, do you have a best friend at work? I think there's still a lot of truth to that, right? Is do you enjoy the people you work with? Because in many cases, you spend, horrifyingly, almost as much time with your business colleagues as you do waking hours with your family. Actually more. Actually more. Mm-hmm. So you have to like the people that you're working with. You have to feel respected.
1: Well, yeah, interesting, you, you, you don't have to, but boy, you live uh, a miserable life That's if right. you don't. That's exactly <laughs>
0: well said. That's why you're an author, and I'm not.
1: (laughs) I think you are. (laughs) Let's
0: talk about culture. So you are a chief people officer. You speak around the world, literally, more probably than your wife wants you to. But you speak a lot about culture. Kind of give us what is the definitive definition of what culture means. What have you found to be true where you go?
1: Kind of define that for us. Well, there there is no one definition of culture. I mean, different, different organizations, different authors, different thought leaders have their, their take on it. But they all fall under this umbrella of, what is it like to work here? What's the mm-hmm. personality mm-hmm. of this organization? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I kind of summarize what culture is. You know, what does it feel like when I walk in the room? What does it feel like when I come to work here? What how do we operate? What is the way we get things done? Uh, I I, again summarize that down to what is the personality of an organization? Well said. Take that one
0: step further. So what are the key ingredients of building a winning culture, a culture that is unique to a company's brand? Mm -hmm. Because we know you can copy or steal almost everything now, right? You can Mm -hmm. poach talent, Mm -hmm. you can create a product just differently and get a trademark or patent for it, Mm -hmm. supply chain, cost, vendor, marketing, all that is fairly replicable, but what you can't replicate is a company's personality. What are the key ingredients of building a culture that becomes your competitive advantage in a fairly increasingly gentrified, homogenous marketplace?
1: Well, the ultimate key ingredient is the engagement of your people. It is how engaged is every employee. The receptionist that you meet when you come in the front door, the CEO, the chief people officer, the chief thought leader, the line leaders, how engaged are they? even if they're not owners of shares of the organization, they come to work every day acting like their owners. You remember, well I don't know if you remember, but the first lemonade stand you set up or whatever little thriving business you and your buddies when you were in elementary school started and how passionate you were about that because man, we're doing this on our own and I have this part and you have that part. Well, that doesn't change over time or shouldn't change over time. And what are you doing as a leader to make sure that your employees are as excited about their role in the organization as they were when they had built their own little business as a, as a you know, second grader?
0: Todd, at Franklin Covey, we're pretty passionate about the role that leaders play in building culture. It is hard to change the behaviors or impact, you know, let alone 18 people. Think about 1,800 people, or 18,000, or companies that have 180,000 people. Talk about your passion around the proven point of view, that is leaders are the linchpin, and what is the role that leaders play in building culture, but also in destroying culture?
1: Right, well, certainly the phrase what a leader values gets valued Mm -hmm. couldn't be more true, especially Mm -hmm. in this topic of culture. Now, people ask me all the time, so does it take the leader or a top-down approach to build a great culture? It certainly happens more quickly and it's more effective when it happens that way. But anyone, anywhere, whether you're in a leadership role or not, can start and work, and work from within that team and out. But, but back to your question, the leader, she or he, when they focus on and value culture as their ultimate competitive advantage, as we say, and as we know is true, that's where the organization really takes off because they, they don't just talk about it. They eat, sleep, drink, breathe it every day. Yeah, they model yeah. it. They live it. That leader has tremendous influence when she or he is, is a model of the culture, the very culture they hope to emulate in the, in the company.
0: I'm going to ask you to get tangible. I want you to think back to the last 60, 70 keynote speeches you've been honored to give on Get Better the last year and a half. And you've got another 60 that you've accepted in <laughs> mm-hmm. the pipeline. Sorry, Trish. That's his wife. <laughs> um, uh, think of one where you've given where the culture was palpable in a positive way, where you could just tell the moment you like walked in the conference hall or in the building, say, I like this place, maybe without mentioning the name, or you can mention the name, what was it
1: like, why was it so positive, and how could you tell? Well, it's, it's what a great question. You walk in the door, and honestly, first of all, you can't get the people to take their seats. You can't get people's attention. I watched the whoever the you know the chief learning officer, whoever had put the meeting together, up there trying to get attention. People can't stop talking to each other because they are such good friends. Yeah. You know, you have a best friend at work. Well, it looked like this company I'm thinking of, they had. 50 best friends. They loved each other. They They, liked each other. And and it wasn't chit-chat. As I walked around the room and listened to them, they were talking about things in the business and how passionate they were and just how motivated and excited they were. So that was the, the very first thing. And then the types of questions that came up after the keynote or during the keynote about how do we, we want to really take it to this next level. Everything of how do we grow more, how do we do better, but not in a negative sense, but just, gosh, we're here, we want to get here. How do we do that? that? Those were some key indicators of a thriving yeah. culture. You yeah, could see it the moment you walked
0: That's in. Right. You could feel it. Um, without selling them out, I'm sure there's been one where you've thought, gosh, I would not want to work here, or I could fix them if I had some time. Yes, I, I Think of one of those. What
1: was that like? How did you know? Well... I walked in the room and nobody showed up. No, no. <laughs> no, no. no. but but seriously... Can you think of one? It was, I, I, I can think of some that weren't not a dramatic opposite of what I just described, but where it was pretty quiet to begin with. Yeah. People were pleasant, but not excited... To be there for the keynote, and and you could just sense, and again, it's my judgment, but you could just sense there was a a lack of passion for what we're doing as an organization, this particular company. The questions, again, were we're professional, but more around uh, what we'd call victim language. You know, Mm. well, what if you work for someone who doesn't see it this way, and I've tried for five years to change him and he won't change? Or what if, and again, those are legitimate. Situations and issues, but it was just the way that those questions mm-hmm. were, were presented. Mm-hmm. You, you could sense, ah, this is a struggling culture.
0: Todd, let's get really practical for a moment. Talk about what leaders can do this afternoon to build a better winning culture on their team of four, on their mm-hmm. team of 12, mm-hmm. with 70 people in a division. Mm-hmm. Rattle off a half dozen practical behaviors that anybody, regardless of the level of their leadership role, whether they're a first level leader or a CEO, whether they're 20 or they're 60, Mm -hmm. whether they're hated or they're loved, some things people can do to immediately build a better culture that you've also probably gleaned from a lot of good stories and some some coaching opportunities. Mm -hmm. Give me five or six things that people Mm -hmm. could do immediately, leaders.
1: If if a, a leader sat down with their team and said, and again, don't want to assume that they, they haven't been doing any of these things. But they said, look, we, are, we have our great mission statement posted on the wall and our values and vision. And, and I'm passionate about those, and I love those. And here's how I would like everyone on this leadership team to model those for the company. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, and, I, and I've unfortunately, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but I've, I've unfortunately not been modeling this. I've noticed that we've been so busy, many of you have been putting off the one-on-ones you should be having with your team. So I want to tell you, From this day forward, I'm not going to cancel another one-on-one or it's going to be, you know, the building's on fire if I do. So I want you to hold me accountable to this. We are going to meet regularly. I find that one of the biggest, you asked about the elements of a great culture, communication is key. And again, to get real practical, communication meaning hold your one-on-ones with your team. You cannot skip those because they're a week, two weeks, three weeks go by. And yeah, I kind of know what's going on but I really don't know what you're thinking. How are you feeling about things? So that communication is critical. Stop so- there
0: a second. Okay. And I think that's profound. What you're saying is, as a leader, they should demonstrate some self-awareness, humility, introspection, and connect the values on the wall to actionable behaviors in their team and admit that they themselves have often not rise to the standard and spell out
1: exactly what we're all going to do to model those values. Perfect. Perfectly said. Some of the greatest leaders I've seen, some that you and I both have the benefit of working for have done just that. They've said, look, I want to apologize. I have not been modeling this particular aspect or this particular behavior and that's changing today because that's where credibility becomes a factor, right? Is you
0: could write wrongs pretty quickly if you just apologize
1: acknowledge it, that you're part of the problem, that you're willing to recommit. I've, seen, I've worked with and seen too many leaders who think, well, if, if I am not doing everything right all the time, I lose credibility. No, 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 no. you're a human yeah. being. Yeah. In fact, now, don't just use it as a, as a scapegoat to say, no, I do think drug all the time and right. too bad, right. but acknowledge right. and right. let your team know, I, no, I'm human. Yes, I'm in the leadership role and I'm going to continue to strive to model everything that we talk about, but I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to acknowledge when I make those mistakes. I'm going to ask you to help me, you know, stay on track. Yeah. So that that communication, communication is Communication and clarity, yeah. great. Um, work-life balance is another big one, mm-hmm. especially for leaders. We feel such ownership. we got to get this done. And I'm worried my team's burning out. And, and why is Stephanie staying so late? And why is Francine coming in so early? Well, wait a minute, Todd. What are you doing? And they're getting emails from you at 10, 11, at 12, at night, and at 5 in the morning. If you're in their role, aren't you kind of thinking, well, well, he hasn't asked me to do this, he's probably expecting me to be putting in those hours too, so be very careful about what you're modeling and the messages that that, that is sending. Yeah. You know, we worked for a leader once who, it was, <laughs> I still laugh about this. this, this person wore a shirt and tie, it was a man, every day to work. And one day, for, for a good reason, he decided to stop wearing a tie. And it took like maybe two days for everybody else on that team that previously wore ties to stop wearing ties. <laughs> so what the leader values gets value. Yeah. And that has to do with work-life balance, what time you show up, how late in the night you work, um, all of those things. Yeah. Let's talk about
0: trends in probably lots of organizations. I think it's indisputable that the traditionalist, the baby boomers... People that are our age and a little older are starting to move into the crescendo of their career. I mean, I've got, you know, 20 years left. You've got 100 years left. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the older generation is starting to move into the pinnacle of their career. And there's this undeniable sea of change coming in with a younger, in many cases, better educated, better cultured, more nimble group coming up in, right? And I'm guessing the demands are different. Now, I'm guessing there's some similarities. What do you see as the similarities between what millennials, Gen Xers, and people coming out of college want that are the same as the older generation, and what's different?
1: Yeah, well, I try to be very careful in, in pigeonholing or, or, or stereotyping certain groups. And, and so I appreciate you asking that question because what I see the same, you know, often I'll hear people say, well, millennials and, and the younger generation, they care more about contribution. They care more about making a difference They're not as tied to climbing the corporate ladder or making so much money. Well, I'm not a millennial. I'm not a Gen Xer, and I care deeply about contribution. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've ever been focused on climbing the corporate ladder. So I, I think we need to be careful to say this group tends to be more like this, and this group tends to be more like this. So I think in commonality, they all want to add value to what they're doing every day. They don't just want to get in and and, and punch a clock, so to speak. Uh, They want to make a good living. They want to be fairly compensated for what they're doing. They want to uh, have some kind of a career path. Even someone as old as I wants to, you know, still know what's ahead for the next five to ten years, things things of that nature. What's different... You're not seeing vast differences. Well, where I'm seeing a, a new introduction, which has actually been a real healthy thing, is the, the younger generations have learned and this is primarily through technology but you can get the same job done or get results accomplished in many different ways and so this level of flexibility that I certainly didn't have or didn't take advantage of or didn't know about growing up they bring that with them and, and so where I think there's been a, a rub in certain cases with people who have been in a, a set way of doing things for a long time and saying wait a minute, what do you, what do you mean you're not going to come in till 10 and, right. or you're going to work from 8 to 11 at night because that, you know, wait a minute, we don't do things here that way. And yet when we grow up and step back a little bit and say, well, look at the results they're getting. Yeah. They're getting as well or better results than the person who's here from 8 to 5. So that flexibility is probably the biggest uh, difference I've seen. Sorry, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Work whenever you want, because you're amazing. <laughs> talk, talk, Drew. About... Drew is just so our viewers know. Drew is someone you're referring to who falls into that younger category. He does,
0: <laughs> and he's he's you know just um, unbelievably talented, and is like a MacGyver. He can learn anything. He will learn anything. He'll do anything. Better, smarter, faster, cheaper than me. And if he's not like, you know, on the set at 8, 10, I'm like, where are you? It's like, I'm in the parking lot solving your 10 problems,
1: Scott. So, <laughs> well, no, and you uh, said something a minute ago. They're better educated. And, and, and no offense to Drew and them. They're, they're educated differently. Uh, you know, our baby boomers and, and yeah. older generation, they're, they're very well educated and very seasoned have lots of years of experience. But there's a different type of education with all that technology in the world now provides. Todd, so you're a chief people
0: officer, known in most companies as a chief human resource officer, or you know, you're the executive vice president of people in our company worldwide. Uh, several thousand employees, f- almost 60 offices around the world, large corporate presence here in Utah. Most of our employees work from their homes, right? Or they're dispersed, they virtual employees, so to speak. How do you find great leaders build and sustain an engaging culture
1: when all 50 members of their team work in different states. Yeah, And they see them maybe twice a year. It is probably one of the biggest challenges organizations around the world are facing. Because how wonderful that we can get work done from anywhere. From the car in the parking lot, while Drew's getting your day ready for you, you know, from my home office, from whatever. And it is very lonely. And it's why people are leaving and transferring and moving organizations because those leaders who don't recognize it and figure out ways to help their teams feel included They may be paying them well, they may have exciting jobs, but they're lonely and they go to another organization where the leader or leaders have figured it out, how to keep them more engaged. Is that the word you hear when they call you up and say, I'm leaving? It it is. And it sounds, to some it may sound silly, you know, some seasoned uh, 45-year-old professional top-selling executive and she says... I'm lonely. This is a, a lonely yeah, job. I can appreciate that. And yet, in another organization where she also works from a home office, she doesn't. She feels included because her, her leader makes sure that they meet twice a week instead of once a week mm-hmm. because she's remote. Right. Make sure that they use a Zoom call so that we're seeing each other versus just on the phone. Make sure that after every call, there's some follow-up documentation set. Said, hey, I just wanted to summarize. Th- these remote workers, they just naturally feel more detached. And so we gotta go overboard with those right, versus the people right. we get to see every day right. to make sure that communication yeah. is, is ramped up.
0: So leaders that lead virtual teams need to be really mindful of how are you making sure that those people have a best friend at work, feel connected, have great communication and clarity, and that you have to even kind of exaggerate it, not, not un- inauthentically, right. but to make sure that you're guarding them against right. becoming lonely.
1: Spend the extra 10 minutes that you might not need to with someone in the office because you overhear them. Yeah. You kind of know more about their life. Spend the extra yeah. 10 minutes with the remote workers right. saying, hey, how's things going? I yeah. understand you and your partner were building a house. Right. How's that going? Is it, you know, we're, spend that extra 10 minutes. That 10-minute deposit will come back in, yeah. in, in, in great volumes on yeah. return.
0: Could, uh, sage advice. Talk about policies and procedures. So I'm not in HR. I don't ever be invited to <laughs> in HR. Well, I'm invited a lot, but it's not an interview. <laughs> yeah. You sit in HR yeah. a lot. I do. <laughs> you know how like in stadiums they have like plaques with names on them? I think I have one over in HR. I'm not proud of that. Um, uh, not true. Not true. <laughs> uh, is it true that companies are more flexible with benefits around PTO and, 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 and vacation pay. You hear a lot about the kind of take what you need but get your job done. Maybe s- uh, share some insight as a chief yeah. human resource officer. What's popular? Mm-hmm. What's trendy? Mm-hmm. And what's sort of real because people are
1: demanding it? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> such a great question. I appreciate you bringing that up. One of the reasons at Franklin Kevy why we uh, call our organization, our our department, people services versus human resources, because there's a paradigm in some people's minds. Human resources, old traditional, are kind of the policy wonks, the police keepers. And and while there are certain things in in publicly and privately held companies that are critical from a legal perspective, you've got to have those things, and those need to be in check, that should not be where you're spending the majority of your time. Mm. Yes, have somebody smart, have legal people involved and all that stuff. Because it's required, shit. but it isn't driving engagement. But boy, if that's where your focus is and all your time and effort is, you're missing a huge opportunity. Spend the 90% of your time on engagement. And, and, and key to your question, how do I keep my people engaged? Acknowledge there are 10 different ways to get results, and probably better results. And it's not about, um, no, we work from this to this hours, and if you're here 10 years, you get one more day of vacation, and this and this and this. Now, again, different organizations and different industries by by uh, requirement need to have certain things in yeah. place but in general most organizations have a lot more flexibility than they're willing to step back and say oh wait a minute we could do this differently we went through this we at franklin covey probably 10 years ago where another very reputable organization here in in this area said no we don't have for our salaried employees we don't track PTO or personal time off we were shocked we said well, what if somebody takes advantage of it Well, then why are you employing that person if somebody's not, you know, and it's a different way of thinking to really say, and and you got to watch it, it could get out of hand, to say, no, Scott, we pay you for results. If you can get those, now, we don't think you can get those results done if you only work six months out of the year, but, you know, try it, be my guest. But, but no, take the time off you need, but, boy, be responsible, be accountable, be there, make sure you're meeting your, your weekly and your monthly measures that we're all watching. And do that however you want, with all of the things we've talked about, are you communicating regularly with your team? Are you getting these things done? And I'll tell you, that mindset shift and, and shifting that practice has had certain problems, but 10 times the more benefits than it has the problems. And we've worked out the problems. So that kind of mindset has proved invaluable for raising the level of engagement, you know, showing trust. We trust you to do your job. Yeah, right. You and I have been in the firm both over 20 years. Right. You
0: recruited me in and we're both on the executive team. And although we're not exactly the same age, we're not that far off in age. <laughs> we're, we're far off. We're not, we're not. <laughs> he flatters me. <laughs> I have a four-year-old. He's added 10 years to my life. Uh, we've, I, I've seen a migration in our own firm because we were raised in a fairly corporate, buttoned-down conservative company that had, you know, probably benefits and some downside mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm. But now we don't look as much as to whose cars in the parking lot at 7.30 versus 8.30. It seems in our culture that we've been able to engage and retain and attract a new generation of talent by becoming more flexible, which isn't necessarily our natural strength. I mean, we are a pretty um, heady organization, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Sometimes companies take it too far and have to like pull it back. And is there some
1: risk in that? Sure, sure absolutely. Mm. There's there's another company I'm familiar with that uh, that is and was a former client of ours, and and they had just that. They all of a sudden it was the wild wild west. Yeah. And everybody's doing everything. And they good people, but got off track. And I talked to their chief people officer, their chief human resource officer, and and just that they had to kind of rein things in a little bit because it was like. Do whatever you want, go wherever you want, and they lost sight of what the common goal was. So, so absolutely, there's a balance. But you, you talked, you said just a minute ago about attracting talent. This is how you attack, attract top talent, showing high levels of trust. Within, you know, here's the road. Don't go outside of the road. But boy, do you have a lot of leeway within yeah.
0: this within this road, Todd? It's safe to say. Generally speaking, no one is hired in this company without your involvement. You might actually be in the interview. You've seen the resume. You run our recruiting division. And you interview a lot of people. You interview all of the senior people in this organization. And you're part of the committee. And I'm guessing you probably have veto power because you're wise Mm -hmm. and smart. So thousands of interviews. Think of the last 100. What are the questions that people are asking about culture? Is it important? Does it ever come up? Seems like it's almost like a buyer's marketplace right now because unemployment is so low for whatever reasons and that you kind of almost have to poach someone from another organization in order to get a high-performing person. Not in every case. What are those interviews like and what are people wanting to know and demanding as they consider marrying us,
1: not just us marrying them? Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that true? Certainly, it is true. And certainly, uh, it's rare that an interview goes by that someone doesn't ask at some point what is it like to work here? Tell me about the culture. And so we go into a conversation, well, well great. Help me understand, how do you? And I ask the, the candidate, how do you define culture? What does culture mean to you? And they say, well, what am I going to like about this place? What's going to bother me? And I love it when they ask that, because we're certainly not perfect, and an organization is. What do you say about say, Franklin well, Covey? well, we are the exception. We're perfect. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what do you no. say? I, honestly, and, and, and well, what, what's our personality? While, yeah. I would say, and again, I want to be careful in this this, uh, uh, video shoot to not be promoting Franklin Covey, or that's not the purpose of this, but I will tell you from the heart, and you've been here as long as I have, 23 years, we are far from perfect, but I have never worked with a more collective group of people whose intent is to do the right thing. Totally. And so when mistakes are made, and they're made just as often as they are in other organizations, people course correct pretty quickly. I've had more than one person walk back into a room after a meeting, they don't storm out, but they walk out and come back in and say... I'd like a do-over. Hmm. I was sounding pretty victim-y just then. Mm-hmm. And, and you hear that, that's very common. People with, with victim language and victim mentality in our culture, they, they stick out pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. And, and, and therefore, they start to course correct pretty quickly. Yeah. Tell me about what, what leaders do to destroy culture. <clears throat> Well, an easy answer would be they do just the opposite of everything we've just talked about. But what I've seen good women and men do that have unintentionally really hurt their culture is they feel such a sense of responsibility and accountability as a leader should do that they fall into this micromanaging style that that they don't recognize until someone, a trusted advisor, maybe calls it out to them. So they want so much for the results to be perfect that they... I hope it's unintentional. I think it is. They come in and they just oversee to a point of really pushing the talent out the door. I I don't want to work somewhere where everybody manages my every move. Yes, tell me what I'm responsible for, but don't tell me how I have to get there. That's why you hired me, to bring my set. So, So what they do, they think they have to have all the answers. And, and they can never be wrong, what we talked about earlier. So they're unwilling, not because they've got such a big ego, but because they think, ah, I can't tell them I was wrong on this, or I'm going to lose credibility. No, they, they, as we said earlier, they, they are willing to say, hey, you know what, I thought this was the right way to go. It doesn't look like it is. What would you all suggest? They show that level of humility. Other things that they do unintentionally, they, um, they probably overlook some really key talent because the talent doesn't naturally look like what they've been used mm-hmm. to. Uh, we're, we're working on a, a solution right now, of a hot topic in the world of unconscious bias, mm-hmm. and we all have it. Mm-hmm. And, and I caught myself yesterday, I just finished reading through a, a draft of, of one of the parts of the unconscious bias uh, course, and then I had an interview right after that. Mm-hmm. And it, sh- it reshaped my yes. whole interview. Huh. I'm on the phone with this person, and I caught myself thinking, I don't know if this is the right fit. And then I thought, wait a minute, Todd, just because this person doesn't have the identical background to the last four people you hired, yeah. let's stop and, and yeah. look at some different ways to look at this. So this unconscious bias is a big thing that not, every, not just every leader, every person should be aware of. Which is a new of.
0: offering in our All Access Pass right. coming out in May. Right. Right. Yeah. Todd, uh, last question for you. Uh, talk about organizations that are going through mergers and acquisitions and cultures. There's a flurry of consolidation happening. Right for the last decade. (laughs) And I'm guessing the next decade, right? Right. Uh, You've been through a a merger, the Franklin Covey Mm -hmm. merger, Franklin Franklin Covey Leadership Leadership Center. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to senior leaders who are on the cusp of being acquired or are selling or acquiring and understanding they've got to build a culture as soon as possible. Any watch outs, wisdom you'd offer both sides, who's being acquired, who's emerging? and who's acquiring, yeah. to say, yeah. be mindful of these things as you respect cultures and move towards forming one. Yeah.
1: Well, communication is key. And I get that around a merger an acquisition, that's a tricky thing because there are so many things that can't, at certain times, be, said. Things, be right. communicated. But here, here I want to go back to something we talked about earlier. If you as a leader are known for never missing a one-on-one, continually having open communication with your team members so they know Scott always informs me of anything he can. If there's something he can't, I even know that. I know if something he can't talk about. So I have complete trust in this leader. Those leaders that have built that reputation for open, ongoing, consistent communication, as the merger or the acquisition is happening, when people are uncertain, they think, you know what, I trust Scott. Mm. I trust Todd. I trust Susan. I know that as soon as they can tell me something, they will. Um, that would be that would be key, that would be foundational. Versus if I have a relationship with my boss where gosh, I like her and she's smart, but I have to pull information out of her all the time, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on. So I'm probably out dusting up my resume and I don't need to. And she may not be withholding it from you intentionally, right. she's just got a lot going on in her That's world, right? right? That's and, exactly yeah. right. So, so communication would be the number one thing. Um, In the hiring process, you talk about the thousands of interviews I do, we look for certainly all the basic competencies and and core skills and, and, and high character. We look more and more for flexibility and adaptability. Every candidate, regardless of the position I'm interviewing them for, I look for examples in their past of where they have or haven't been extremely adaptable, extremely mm. flexible. So when you build a team like that, well then when mergers and acquisitions or just just regular change goes on, you've got a team that knows how to ebb and flow with those things. That's good career coaching advice,
0: especially for people, I'm going to guess that are, you know, have more reps in the saddle so to speak, right? Like you and me, in their maybe 40s, 50s and 60s mm-hmm. that are looking for a new role that are maybe more entrenched in their ways or they had a long career in an organization. It's good coaching to uh, be introspective around how emotionally nimble am I how That's right you know, um, how rigid am I am I thinking right and my
1: collaboration skills there, there's a person I wrote about in the book that you, you and I both know this person extremely talented three degrees been with the company a long time. this person struggled with the very thing we 're mm. talking about and therefore was passed over time and time again for to lead some really cool mm. projects because they were known for or at least thought of as inflexible mm. And, and so it's a key skill that we yeah. all, regardless of our age, can continually be working on
0: and, yeah. and, and, and developing. Uh, final minute, what are you working on next? Because you've got another
1: book in the hopper. I'd love to have you talk about it for a second. Well, uh, thanks for bringing it up. You and I are both working on it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're authoring, uh, co-authoring uh, with our great partner, Victoria Russo Olson, mm-hmm. uh, the book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, Six yes. Critical Practices for Leading a Team. Yeah. And super excited about that. It's <coughs> the, the initial target audience, are for those leaders and there are thousands and thousands of them out there who have been such great individual performers, they've been put into a leadership position and they're excited, and we're excited, and then everybody realizes, what leadership training have they had? Should <laughs> I, they even be in the role? I had someone a month ago, great person, we both know this person in the organization, and they came into me and they said, hey, I've got to, and and he's doing his leadership role. And he said, I've got to have a, a discussion with so and so, this person on his team who is struggling with just getting to work on time, punctuality, showing up, and uh, and and so I don't know how to have that conversation. I said, Well, I would just remind her of how you run your team and the hours they can work. I know, but how do I have the conversation? And he said, and I said, Well, let her know about the policy, and what you established. And he said, No, Todd, I don't know how to start. The, I don't know what to say. And I thought. Shame on you, Todd. He needed the words. He needed the words. And 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 I'm supposed to be the most sensitive. Oh, I get what you need. And I said, wait, I am so sorry. Invite this person in, say, thanks for meeting with me. I really appreciate the job you're doing. I have a tough topic I need to bring up with you, Mm. and I want you to know my only intent is to help you get better in your role. And this person, the, the leader I'm talking to, he's writing down every word. And I thought oh my gosh, you know, you and I have been in our roles for so long that some of that stuff comes second nature to us. But a new leader, they don't know how to begin that conversation. Now, this book has, has uh, sections for it around that. But it's also going to be very valuable for those who have been in their leadership roles for many, many years. Statistics have shown that people get put in their first leadership role, generally in their 30s. They don't get their leadership, any leadership training for 12 to 15 years wow, later. right. It's a huge gap. So senior leaders, seasoned leaders will learn a lot from this book as well. Everyone deserves a great manager. When you're 100 and you leave Franklin Covey, I think
0: you should open up a consulting company. I think you would be a great <laughs> executive coach. I think you'd I'll, be... I'll will in my wheelchair there. <laughs> Your oxygen tank. <laughs> That's right. I, really, I think the 30-plus you know, years of experience you have in totality are really valuable for executives, for HR leaders to understand kind of what is the new cultural demand looking like for organizations. Wow. You're very kind. Thank, Thank you me. for joining us. I'll bet you this is downloaded a lot as well. We'll have you back again <laughs> when the new book comes out, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. Thanks, Scott. Todd, thanks for coming back down. Thank You're you later. for joining us. You've been listening to Todd Davis, the author of the best-selling book, Get Better, and the future co-author of the book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. If you haven't subscribed to On Leadership, it is now the fastest growing leadership newsletter worldwide. Visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab, it's free. Comes out via email every Tuesday to your inbox. Invite your family, your friends, your kids, your coworkers, everyone in your company can subscribe to On Leadership. Comes out around eight o'clock Eastern time every Tuesday morning and it includes three assets. An interview like this that is both on video or in person and also in in podcast format and it is available on all of your favorite podcast channels, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Franklin Covey. It also includes a downloadable tool pulled from one of our 30-plus world-class solutions found in the All Access Pass, as well as a blog article that I write from some insight from each week's guest. So visit us at FranklinCovey.com, subscribe to On Leadership, and we'll see you back here next week with another great guest. Thank you for joining us.